Hi, welcome to this edition of On Tap, presented by FCSI The Americas. I'm Wade Kaler, Executive Director. On Tap this week, I have a relative newcomer to FCSI The Americas. He's had an active career in the food service business, starting as a chef, then sales, and finally becoming a food service consultant. Please welcome the owner-principal of Kitchen, Restaurant, and Bar Specialist, Mr. Alec Bauer. Hi, Alec. Welcome to the show. Hi, Wade. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I, I'm looking, I always love meeting members that I've never had in-depth conversations with. So I'm really looking forward to today. And you've got an interesting background, which is going to be a lot of fun to dive into as well. Um, and starting with that, you know, we, the old adage for us, we, we always start off with the same question is, how did you get your start in food service consulting and the food service industry? And uh, a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, great, uh, great place to start, Wade. Appreciate that. Um, I came up in the industry on the operations side. I was uh, my first job in the industry. I was a busboy uh, in a sort of traditional suburban Chinese American restaurant in New Jersey. Um, got my first introduction to the kitchen there, uh, watching the walk chefs and and whatnot, and all the folks there working. Um, I never really strayed too far from the kitchen for you know the the following you know the following fifteen or eighteen years or so. Um, sort of cooked in a variety of restaurants all through all through college and afterwards moved to Vermont at some point um, oddly enough to play music and snowboard uh, continued uh, yeah couldn't make any money doing either one of them so continued <laughs> cooking and um, eventually enrolled at the New England Culinary Institute here in Burlington Vermont where uh, where, I, where I currently am and uh, had a, a handful of great externships and some great opportunities there was able to uh, was able to do a, a uh, proper apprenticeship or stagiaire in uh, at Maison Blanche in Paris for a while nice. back in 2001. Um, you know, I came back to the States and continued cooking, convinced my wife to move to the West Coast, worked at the Four Seasons in San Francisco, was a round chef there. And along the way, I just started, um, I started both getting a real interest in design and uh, was getting, um, you know, a little burned out on day-to-day operations. Yeah. And there was a point there where I just said, I, I want to go in a different direction. Um, you know, I could either go, and this was in 2002, 2003, sometime around there. Sure. And, the, you know, the marketplace in San Francisco at the time was, you know, was in freefall, post.com crash. And there weren't a lot of people opening restaurants. And I was looking at it, a landscape of, okay, I could go try and, and collect some funding and open a restaurant and make less than my dishwasher at the moment. <laughs> Or I could transition, and I enrolled in design school at UC Berkeley. Uh, dropped out as soon as I felt like I had enough skills on the design side to um, to get something going. You know, it's funny when I first started considering kitchen design, I didn't even know. Um, I didn't even know about FCSI, of course. I didn't even know what food service consultants were. I'd never had the opportunity to work with one previous to actually uh, joining someone's office and starting yeah. to do the work. And so, so you started though your design career in California, correct? That's right. No, I was still in California. So right around the time um, that I was going to, I was going to design school at night. I was working for a combination of architects, engineers, and food service consultants <laughs> in the daytime. Um, working uh, union shifts for local two in San Francisco on the weekend, and um, yeah, uh, that went on for a handful of years. I worked at a restaurant consultation and design with Mark Steck Novak, who's been in the industry for a yeah. super long time. I was really fortunate enough to, you know, I found his name and uh, if I remember correctly, in a copy of Food Arts. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I cold called him and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'd like a job. He hired me. 
Uh, I spent five years working with him and then went off and worked, uh, worked in a dealer for a little while where I really got the experience that I felt at that point, you know, after 12, 13 years in the kitchen, five years in a consultant's office, the area where I still felt a little deficient was in the actual job site and installation side. So yeah, worked at a dealership for a little while, uh, wasn't for me. And then, um, started my own thing in 2000, 2010. Yeah. yeah, and so what made you come back to the Burlington, Vermont area, from the West Coast? Um, sort of a sort of a combination of things. Uh, this was you know ten, eleven years ago. Um, my company had, had just started, and I thought, all right, now is actually you know my wife and I had thought we had a, a three year old, three four year old at home at the time, and we thought it seemed like a, an appropriate time from a business development perspective to come back to Vermont. I thought I would get work, you know, with all the various uh, colleges and universities and schools and restaurants and whatnot here in New England. And it seemed like the moment we moved back to the East Coast, the restaurant scene in San Francisco exploded. <laughs> and we were just right at the top of the wave. And we did a few dozen projects across San Francisco and around Northern California and to wine country. And then a real balance of power, maybe not balance of power, I shouldn't say that, but uh, a real change in the center of gravity in California dining. A lot of San Francisco chefs started moving to Los Angeles or opening restaurants in Los Angeles. And a few of them took uh, me and my team with us. And we started doing a lot of business in Los Angeles. And yeah, it's just, just kind of grown from there. We've got projects all over the country. Yeah, you've had a pretty or a couple of pretty high profile restaurants as well. You've opened up with chefs and stuff. Tell us a few of maybe your couple, two or three that you really are proud of. Um, I, the first one that w- really was a was a big deal was was kind of funny as it often works in this industry. Um, State Bird Provisions in San Francisco. Uh, we were working with Chef Stuart Brioza and his wife Nicole Krasinski, and they were taking over a, uh, a defunct pizzeria in a dodgy transitional part of San Francisco and they were looking to do a dim sum cart inspired uh, project and it ultimately wound up being Bon Appetit Best Restaurant of the Year. They're fantastic chefs. They're great to work with. Small project, big, um, you know, big splash in the industry. And that was a really great one to be involved with. We were involved in a couple of, I think we've remodeled that kitchen two times since then. (laughs) Um, So that was a cool project. Um, Another project uh, closer to home uh, here in the town of Charlotte, Vermont, is a project called Philo Ridge Farm, which is a 400-acre property. They grow uh, all kinds of vegetables. They've got cattle and pig, and they do on-farm process. And we designed a kitchen, restaurant, and catering facility for them to do um, a whole host of things, including not not so much uh, uh, the slaughter kill floor type stuff, but uh, everything after that. Uh, They do on site, they cure their own meats, they age their own meats, they do all kinds of fermentation and all that. So we put in a full-scale bakery and a big prep kitchen and all that. Very cool. uh, It's a very cool sort of example of what you can do with a couple years of sweat equity on a farm in terms of uh, turning it around into a real destination, uh, which was cool. And yeah. I'll say one other project that we did that was super cool is called Vespertine in Los Angeles with Chef Jordan Kahn. Uh, I think they just got a second Michelin star this past year or this couple months ago when that was announced. Um, very cool, very strange building. Uh, the building was called The Waffle, and it's in an area of Culver City called The Hayden Tract. Um, building was designed by architect Eric Owen Moss, and the floor structure doesn't meet the walls because the exterior of the building is just a series of sort of twisted fins and whatnot. 
And it was a very, very interesting project, very tight coordination with the health department and the builders and all that because the building itself was so unusual. But yeah. um, also uh, all electric kitchen, which was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. We've done a lot of those in the last bunch of years. We're big yeah. proponents of the electric revolution in, in kitchens for sure. Yeah, I think that's a, especially, I know you do still do a lot of stuff in California, like you said, I, it yeah. seems like mostly California, I think that wave is starting to spread across the country now to where, you know, we've learned that with the the all-electric all kitchen, it's a little bit easier to plug and play as well, so you can kind of change them up a little bit more, and um, have you, is that something you think about now when you're designing is... You know that you just said you you you've done the the restaurant that won Bon Appetit award. So and you've remodeled that kitchen three times total now. The first one and then two remodels. So is that something you think about now with the with? Is it easier to remodel because of the all electric, or does it make it more difficult? Wait, I'd say great question. It's a combination of factors. Let me clarify. Vespertine is all electric. State Bird was not at the time, although right. I'd predict that they'll they'll get there at some point. The challenge in a lot of places right now is a regulatory one, wherein um, municipalities like San Francisco, for example, always on the cutting edge of these sorts of things. And oddly enough, my town here in Burlington have both passed city ordinances, um, you know, requiring that new commercial endeavors. There's a fair amount of loopholes for restaurants that still need <laughs> gas and whatnot. Yeah. There's there's some there's some ways to get through this, but they're really pushing for all electric kitchens. But the right. challenge is on the utility side where we get properties that maybe only have 200 amps of service and right. to do an all electric kitchen, you need a lot of power. Double yeah. stack combi oven, all electric is a pretty pretty beefy power <laughs> consumer. So we do have a lot of those kinds of challenges on, on, um, on remodel. Um, we did another project, the Silver Oak Winery in Sonoma County that was an all, all electric property. The kitchen, the winery, the whole thing, it was a living building challenge award winner and again the all electric kitchen and the challenge is finding enough power to do the kind of bandwidth that most of our client base you know yeah. needs to do for tasting rooms busy restaurants but it's definitely coming i mean it's here in in large measure uh, we think about it on every project now we talk to all of our chefs and clients and operators about um, how they might consider transitioning to electric kitchens what the benefits are to um to the indoor air quality to the uh, you know um, you know, quiet in the kitchen, right. um, the ability to dial in a lot of programmable stuff, the, the tech, you know, the tech in, in the food service equipment side has, has really, really expanded so much in the last six or seven years. I mean, 10 years ago, yeah. this stuff wasn't available anywhere but Europe. And now it's great. Right. We've, got, we've got a lot of options. Being a former chef, uh, and I know you, I'm sure you still play in the kitchen as well, but does it, uh, the question I guess I'm trying to come up with would be, does it change the way you would look at things as a chef being all electric now? I mean, do you find it harder to plan for something or easier or really is the technology caught up to where now it's really doesn't matter? I think the main challenge is on, is on durability in the kitchen and okay. how we in North America have historically cleaned kitchens or not, or taken care of equipment <laughs> or, or not. not, as compared to the European marketplace where they've been on electric power grids for kitchens for a long, long time using induction and sous vide and combi ovens and all that stuff. Right. And, you know, a lot of kitchens here, they're, we're just a heavy hitting, robust kind of attitude in the kitchen. And once we get chefs wrapping their heads around how to take care of the equipment, and understanding that the service network is is really growing in terms of you know maintaining the equipment, 
uh, they can use this stuff. We've got high powered yeah. induction that we can use for stock pots and whatnot. But we do, I do think about it a lot as a, you know, as a cook, um, in terms of talking to clients about it, what can you right. do with the induction? What, like, how amazing is it that you can program this stuff? Talk about making your Thanksgiving, uh, yeah, you know, process easier when you've got combi, you know, programmable combis and whatnot, CVAPs and things like that. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it does make things easier, and it's really helpful for chefs when we get into these conversations that I can, you know, I can still kind of speak yeah. their language. And yeah, and, absolutely. And it, yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a good conversation to be having. Do you uh, do you still miss the kitchen? Do you still get in there and dabble a little bit? As my <laughs> wife likes to say, uh, I, I do all the event cooking. Okay. Uh, so Thanksgiving, if we've got friends or family over, you know, I'll bang out the dinner for 15 people, uh, you know, from start to finish on, you know, same day, kind of no plan, uh, improvised kind of situation. But on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> I'm not in there as much as I really ought to be. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I think that's usually the case too. You burned out yeah. eventually and you burned out for a reason, right? It's like, you don't mind yeah, doing it and, once in a while, but yeah. Th- I mean, the truth weight is, is I loved cooking. I really did. I love loved being in the kitchen. I love that full contact ballet that's going on in, in a high-end restaurant. When things are running smooth, it, it's a ton of fun. It is also a young man's game or a young woman's game, a young person's yeah. game, I should say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the kitchen also was a very different place 15 years ago than yes. it is now. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, and for the better, for, for folks who are, you know, for folks who are working in the kitchen now, it's generally right. speaking a, a much better environment, you know, yeah. now compared to 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I completely agree. What, what when you said, you, you know, you wanted that, that area of the industry that you were not familiar with was the dealer side and over the construction installation side. So you, you made the conscious effort to leave, to go into that and then come back. What did you learn from those years that make you a better consultant today? Oh, geez. I learned a ton in that time. I mean, that was really, uh, that was really sort of a graduate course in, uh, in site construction, in the role of the dealer uh, with respect to the general contractor. I'd already spent five years working with dealers on the consulting side, but in terms of getting in there and understanding what the dealer's responsibilities are in coordinating job job site activities, uh, scheduling for walk-ins and hoods to be installed, actually being out there with the teams and the, and the crews of, of installers and the fabricators doing fine-tuned details out on the job site. Um, it, I learned a lot on the construction side. And of course, I had spent some time in architecture. Yeah. Um, I've seen some, some degree of construction on the commercial side, but really getting in the trenches with the you know, uh, also with the rep on the rep side too, because yeah. working in, in just the one consultant's um, office, you know, there were reps who called on us, and I developed some great relationships with, with specifically the Northern California rep groups. Um, learned a ton from you know from those groups, but being out in the dealer world gave me a whole different understanding of of how the reps operate, how yeah. the reps operate with respect to manufacturer. It just you know, you see things on the dealer side and in the in the actual installation and construction side that I had not seen nearly as much of on the consulting side. And having that understanding, you know, I mean, at this point, I feel like I've been the chef, I've been the designer, I've been the project manager on the dealer side, working, you know, being the punching bag for the general contractor, <laughs> right? Food service, food service teams are. Uh, they're the last in. And so all the job site delays are put on the food service team. Like, okay, you got four weeks of install. You have one week to do it now because of other delays. So uh, trying to stay in front of that 
uh, was a great lesson in politics. I mean, yeah. a lot of this that we do is politics and management of clients and, and all the various engineers and interior designers and contractors. So many people go, you know, have their hand and have their own effort in all of the food facility projects that we do, yeah. not just high end restaurants, but schools and, you know, higher ed and, yeah. you know, everything. Nice. Uh, so do you now, but being back in Burlington again, uh, How's the music scene and the skiing scene for you? Uh, skiing has been uh, great. You know, I, I did uh, when, uh, you know, I'd snow I mentioned before, I'd snowboarded for a long time. Yeah. And then when we, we moved back here and my son was growing up and I felt it was important for him to learn to ski first. And I'm on a snowboard trying to teach him how to ski. And I was like, this just doesn't, this doesn't work. So I switched back to skiing a number of years ago and it's been great. Skiing in the East is fun. We don't have yeah. dry powder and warm days like the West coast, but right. uh, it's a whole different kind of adventure up here. Uh, yeah. It's cold and icy and fast and fun. Music scene is good. You know, COVID put a little bit of a damper on, uh, yeah. on that. But um, what we like to say here, Burlington, Vermont really punches above its weight in a variety of, a variety of classes, music and food scene, farming and agriculture. It's really a pretty vibrant place for being a town of only 40,000 people. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, yeah. what's one piece of advice you would give to anyone thinking of becoming a food service consultant today? Learn to cook. Good. That's a, yeah. Spend some, spend some time in the kitchen. Um, yeah. It's really just, it, it's so critical. Um, we, you know, we, we, we've taken on, you know, architects and designers, from non-food service backgrounds and train them in food service and it, it it's it it can be done right food service right. is a is, it's a dense it's a dense industry right there's a lot of product knowledge that you need to know about all the different equipment and not to mention the circulation required in kitchens and all that but just learning how to cook and and developing an appreciation for at the end of the day what the people do in yeah. all of our in all of our work no matter what yeah. it i mean i i think from my perspective as a chef coming up in the industry Right, so many folks wait as you, as you of course know in our industry um, came into this because it's a family business on the rep right. side, the dealer side, whatever manufacturing side, even consulting side. And yeah. I came at I came to this this side of the industry completely like unknowing that this was yeah. a, a, a thing, right? And but we we really take a very sort of cook centric approach to all of these projects that we work on yeah. because that's at the end of the day, that's we're, we're designing workstations. We're designing yeah. a place where, where these people spend 40, 50, 70 hours a week. Right. So the more appreciation one can have for that, um, the better I would say. Oh, that's all the formal questions I've got for you today. But before we get going, as you know, with on tap, I like to end with a little bit of a lighter note, a little bit of more fun note. So I've got a set of uh, would you rather questions that we can get through. I think you'll, okay. you're going to enjoy. Um, the first one would be, would you rather have the ability to move things with your mind or the ability to read minds? Ooh, I think I would move things uh, okay. with my mind because I think uh, the ability to read minds would uh, would be a slippery slope. <laughs> I agree. Would you rather be forced to sing along or dance to every single song you hear? Uh, sing along. Would you rather be chronically underdressed or overdressed? Oh well, since I'm already chronically underdressed, I, I, I would choose the uh, I would choose I would choose the opposite just for a change of pace. So yeah, I'm uh, Wade. Final answer: chronically overdressed. <laughs> okay. Would you rather have universal respect or unlimited power? That's a great. That's a great question, right there. Um, I mean, if you've got unlimited power, you could perhaps command universal respect. But of course, 
um, I would choose universal respect. Would you rather never be able to go out during the day or never be able to go out at night? Again, is a, a really good. That's a really good. Would you rather? Uh, as a long, lifelong night owl, um, I, I want to say that I'd rather be able to go out at night. But as a family man, I gotta say um, I need to be able to go out during the day. Are you a lounge by the pool or lounge by the beach type of guy? Uh, can uh, yes, and if possible, I mean the, <laughs> it's the back, it's the back and forth between the two. That's where that's the real sweet spot. If you can find that. 100% yeah. agree. Would you rather wear the same socks for a month or the same underwear for a week? Um, I'm going to go with the socks. Okay. That seems like the obvious answer there. <laughs> Would you rather spend a week in the forest or a night in a haunted house? Oh, a week in the forest. That sounds great. Would you rather get a paper cut every time you turn a page or, oh, bite, or bite your tongue every time you eat? Wow, that's a weird one. Um, I'd say paper cut because I don't turn I don't turn pages that often, right? right. I'm a, a paperless office, so I think Fair I'm enough. good there. Would you rather sip aviation gin with Ryan Reynolds or shoot tequila with Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Oh, definitely. Uh, no, no disrespect, Ryan Reynolds, but definitely the Rock for sure. Okay. Would you rather have skin that changes color based on your emotions or tattoos that appear all over your body showing what you did yesterday? uh tattoos that sounds great okay would you rather be beautiful and stupid or unattractive and a genius um i don't i don't know i mean they both have uh i'd rather be lucky than good if that's uh <laughs> if that's uh if that's a good answer that's a good that's a good answer would yeah. you would you rather only eat pizza for a year or not be able to eat any pizza for five years i mean i love pizza Pizza for a year. If I, as long as it doesn't have to be the same pizza from the same place, I could eat pizza for a year, no problem. That's yeah. a that's a good caveat to that. Nobody's brought that yeah, up, but that's a good caveat. Right. Would you rather give up cursing forever or give up desserts for five years? Oh, I would give up desserts, no doubt. And the yeah. last one, would you rather go backstage with your favorite band or be an extra on your favorite TV show? Oh, backstage my favorite band for sure. That's it for those. So uh, tell a little awesome. bit, or tell everybody exactly how they can find out more about you and your firm, Alec. You know, we're on uh, we're on LinkedIn. Uh, it's under my name, Alec Bauer. Uh, we're on the we're on the World Wide Web, of course. KRBSpecialists.com. That's an S on the end. dot com. Um, it's an ad admittedly dated website. We're in the midst of a <laughs> of a whole new whole new effort here. Uh, nice. I don't know when this I don't know when this is going to broadcast. Maybe it's done by then. Probably not. Um, but yeah, we're on, uh, Instagram Caribbean specialists. Okay. That's about it. Well, that wraps up this edition of on tap presented by FCSI of the Americas. A huge thank you to Alec today for joining us. We can't do shows without members like yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts and turn on those notifications. So you don't miss out on any future episodes, but until then cheers. Cheers.